Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Up next on the 6th of Thursday night, the Seahawks would rather forget Richard Sherman out for the season. And now the league is reviewing if Russell Wilson should have been held out after taking a massive hit. We'll have the latest. And College Hoops is back. 163 games on tonight's schedule. We'll tell you who you should be watching. Here's one hit, Kentucky. And speaking of college, what a weekend ahead in college football. Will the Canes rock the turnover chain against Notre Dame? See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Thought a wrap. Welcome to The Six. I'm the DJ. Bucci Main is the rapper. No government names allowed on this here show. Bucci is back again filling in for Michael Smith. Bucci, has it been as good for you? I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty, royalty inside of my DNA. Can I get two claps for a chicken pot pie? What was that good last night? It was so good. I am John Michael, by the way. <laughs> this, this almost works. Speaking of food, let's look at tonight's menu. Do that it. super team in OKC isn't doing so well. Roy Young will give us the deets on why the Thunder dropped to 0-6 against the West after last night's loss to Denver. But first, the Seahawks and their disastrous Thursday night. Yeah, Richard Sherman ruptured an Achilles tendon last night. He's out for the rest of the Seahawks season. Had sat out practice all week with the sore Achilles, knowing it could go at any moment. Teammate Bobby Wagner linked the injuries to playing Thursday night football. We'll get into this with Adam Schefter. We play a physical game, a physical sport, to ask us to turn around and be ready after Sunday. To turn around and have our bodies okay on that Thursday is really tough for us to do. Meanwhile, Sherman, just the latest in what continues to be a growing list of NFL superstars to miss significant time this season. Here's a look at our all-injured offense. Rodgers, Johnson, Beckham Jr., Edelman, Thomas, Olsen, Sean Watson, of course, Dalvin Cook. On the defensive side of the football, Sherman, J.J. Watt, Eric Berry, Nada, Hightower, Merciless, Cliff Averill, among others, again, going down due to injury. Meanwhile, NFL reviewing whether the Seahawks followed proper concussion protocol with Russell Wilson. They're conducting a thorough review of whether the Seahawks followed the protocols when Wilson was sent off in the third quarter. Hit by Carlos Dansby, who was flagged for roughing the passer. You see that's Walt Anderson sending Wilson off the field. But he would miss just one play. Let's bring in Adam Schefter for more. Adam, how does a thorough review work, and what would the penalty be if the Seahawks didn't follow proper protocol? Well, Butchie, what you're looking at here is a situation where once Russell Wilson is pulled off the field by the official, he should be entered into protocol and he should be tested at that point in time by a team trainer and by an independent neurologist. The NFL has put up a blue tent this year for the players to go into, to get a little privacy, to get out of the light, and to be tested in the event that they believe that a concussion has been suffered. Once he was pulled out of the game, he was not tested by the independent neurologist and the team trainer before he came back into the game. So what happens here now is the NFL, the NFLPA, they look into this situation, and we've seen penalties that could range up to $150,000 per team should the NFL find any violation of the protocol here. But really what you're talking about is the league has been trying to change the culture surrounding concussions. And here was a breakdown last night where... The protocol was not followed. Now, we'll see whether or not any penalties or discipline are imposed, but clearly it looks like there was a breach in protocol. 
Well, meanwhile, Adam, uh, the debate of Thursday night football continues. Does it help saturate the product and hurt ratings, uh, or is it unsafe for the players? Take a listen first to uh, Doug Baldwin after the game last night. Is this game Exhibit A of Thursday night football? Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit C, Exhibit D, Exhibit Z. Thursday night football should be illegal. So you guys don't have enough time to recover. Adam, will the NFL consider making a change to Thursday night football? Well, they can modify the schedule, John. The fact of the matter is it's a huge revenue producer for the league and for the players themselves who get 48% of those dollars as well. And so when you're talking about a TV package being done a couple of years ago for $450 million, that's $450 million added dollars into the coffers for the owners and the players. Now, again, it's no secret that players don't like playing Thursday night's football games. It's brutal on the body. It's inhumane. And it's very difficult for all these guys to get through it. Now, I think the league is not going to be in a position to surrender these games. But what the league can do is review scenarios, perhaps, where maybe there are you get rid of a couple of Thursday night games and you have teams that are playing on Thursday nights that are coming off buys, mm. that have periods of time to rest up. When you're asking teams to play on Thursday and then play again four or five days later on that Thursday... That is an extraordinarily difficult proposition. It is very hard on these players' bodies. We've heard the complaints come on an almost weekly basis since Thursday Night Football has been created. But the problem is, or the reality is, is that it creates so much revenue that it's hard to imagine that a league that essentially does everything it can to raise every dollar it can is going to give up something that has raised hundreds of millions of dollars. All right. Uh, stay put. We will get to you in another moment because we have to discuss Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell round two with you. According to Chris Mortensen, Jones's attorney sent a letter to the league's counsel that was copied to all NFL owners accusing the league's compensation committee of misleading NFL owners and omitting information about Goodell's contract extension negotiations. Essentially, Jones is accusing Arthur Blank, who runs the compensation committee, of lying about there being unanimous support for a contract extension and not being transparent about a potential discretionary bonus plan. Jerry also thinks the commissioner hasn't had too much power. I basically feel that this uh, extension of Roger should go uh, and be reviewed and approved by all the owners, not just a few of the owners. And uh, we all see how impactful a commissioner's decision can be in many areas. We've given him a lot of power. And uh, I think we need the checks and balances of... Uh, ownership, uh, having to uh, be in a position to uh, not just suggest, but uh, approve of his decisions. Ooh, I can't wait to see that pregame exchange between Arthur Blank and Jerry Jones on Sunday. Now, Adam, does Jerry Jones want Roger Goodell out the paint, or does he just want him not to be paid as much money? Maybe both. It's unclear to know exactly what he wants, but it's certainly apparent that he's not satisfied with what's going on from the commissioner's office. I think right now, again, this is mainly about money, but that may be used as a cover to try to get Roger out of office. It's hard to tell exactly where Jerry falls in that other than to say it is clear that he's, he is unhappy with what's going on in the league office and with what's going on with the compensation committee that Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner, is chairing to try to get that extension done. Now, again, the NFL said this week that they were close to completing that extension from the compensation committee standpoint. But there are enough owners with enough questions, and Jerry is making an awful loud fuss right now and trying to swing more and more owners to his side in an effort to either 
prevent that extension in totality or to get Roger out of office. But clearly, Jerry Jones knows how much power he has. He's trying to yield some of it right now. And we will see how this winds up in the end. Now, Mort said that there was about 15 owners who want to see the final contract proposal. However, it's interesting that you said that about Jerry and the support he's galvanizing. But might this work on the opposite end, where there are a lot of owners that seemingly don't want the drama? Might he be creating some enemies among that camp? Well, listen, I I think that he may have some anyway to begin with. And there are some strong opinions on this because I think they believe in the end, ultimately, that this issue right now is the culmination of everything that has gone on the last three or four years from Ray Rice to all the domestic violence instances to the investigations for Bountygate and Deflategate and the moves to Los Angeles of two franchises and the anthem protests in Colin Kaepernick all coming together now. And there have been various people who have been disenfranchised or disillusioned by what the league office has done. And they all now have a voice in this particular project. And we'll see whether or not Jerry Jones can galvanize the force that he needs to basically trump the compensation committee. I think most people still are skeptical that he'll be able to do it. But I think we've also learned and have been around long enough to know don't ever underestimate Jerry Jones. All right, billionaire fight club. I love it. Uh, moving on to a player issue. A day after the Packers released Martellus Bennett for failure to disclose a physical condition, Bennett, who has since been picked up off waivers by the Patriots, took to social media to not only explain his side of the story, but he accused the Packers of medical negligence. And as you might imagine, Bennett did not hold back. We'll show you some of his comments without the cuss words. Uh, Bennett posted, during the bye week, I got off anti-inflammatories to clean my system and could really feel the pain. So I asked to examine it uh, the first day back in. And that's when we found out it was really messed up. Didn't say messed. (laughs) They knew Uh, they have access to all my medical records. My shoulder wasn't where it is now at the beginning of the season. I messed it up playing for the Packers. Now, Jordy Nelson, he has since responded defending the Packers with this statement today. In 10 years of being with the Packers organization and having multiple injuries and surgeries, I have never once felt pressure to play in a game. If anything, I have had to try and convince Dr. McKenzie and the athletic trainers to allow me to practice or play in a game. Dr. McKenzie is very cautious about putting players back on the field with an injury and always put the player's health before the team. Now, Adam, how serious are these allegations and is there any expectation the league will look into the accusations against the Packers? Yeah, I think the league will look into it. It is pretty damning what Martellus Bennett is charging at this point in time and he's basically boiling it down to it being an issue of money because he was playing this season with a torn labrum, a torn rotator cuff. At one point in time, he thinks that he would have liked to have gotten surgery. The Packers didn't want it. Then they had a change in stance. Essentially, What he was charging in his Instagram post today was that the Packers released him this week because they did not want to be on the hook for any future money in the future with this shoulder injury being what it is. So what happens? Along comes New England. The Patriots claim him on waivers. He passes their physical even with the condition of his shoulder. And the way it's been explained to me is that New England knows how to manage him and his shoulder issues. And we'll see whether or not he's able to make an impact for the New England Patriots. But clearly, there are issues that are not going away with Green Bay anytime soon. Other people will look into them, and we'll see what comes to them, Jamel. All right, thanks, Adam. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Let's hit the field, Jamel. This is why I like the college football. We talk about the games. (laughs) Number one, Georgia looks to stay unbeaten against Auburn. Georgia has already clinched the SEC East. This is basically a coin flip game. Should be a good one. Another top ten matchup in Norman. Sooners favored by a touchdown. 
Host TCU attempting to become the first team to win in both Norman and Stillwater in the same season since the formation of the Big 12. And finally, the big one. 8 Eastern ABC, Notre Dame, about a field goal favorite in Miami. Old rivalry renewed and what many are calling a college football playoff elimination game. And with that, we hand. Oh, Marty, Marty, the one-man party. Marty Marl in Miami. Marty, uh, I have a feeling I know the answer to this given where you are. What's the mood there about 26 hours away from kickoff? Jamel Bucci, good evening, baby. It is rowdy at the rat. <laughs> the student-operated bar here on campus at the University of Miami. They are hyped. I had the great opportunity to correspond via email this week with Ray Lewis, and I asked Ray, define the U culture for me. He wrote back one sentence, be your brother's keeper from the time you meet them until the day you die. It was such an interesting comment for me, and it is manifested Saturday night here at the University of Miami. I want to give you a list of the former Hurricanes players who are going to be here. It's a who's who. Michael Irvin, Warren Sapp, Ed Reed, Benny Blades, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Clinton Portis, and former two-time national champion head coach Dennis Erickson. I had the great opportunity to interview Coach Erickson today. I said, take me back to the Catholics versus convicts era. He said he remembered the first time he coached against Notre Dame. The Orange Bowl was swaying back and forth. Two hours before the kickoff, it's going to be the same thing tomorrow night. It's going to be insane. I love it, baby. All right. So earlier today, earlier today, I jumped in the pool at the Cleveland. I caught a pass from Steve. We're going to turn it up and out. I got my the loop dancers will come out. Marty, Marty, <laughs> the one-man party. Very good. <laughs> All right, Marty. Thank you. Gosh, I'm hyped now. Woo. Eric Bledsoe, who the Bucks acquired from the Suns through a trade, will make his debut tonight against the Spurs. Bledsoe will start in place of reigning NBA Rookie of the Year, Malcolm Brogdon, who has started all nine games for Milwaukee this season. Bledsoe hasn't played since October 21st, but the Bucks are hoping he becomes a playmaking threat alongside the Greek freak. Jalen Rose, who you'll see later on NBA Countdown with Michelle Beadle at 8.30 p.m. on ESPN. Got to get that plug in. Uh, leading into the Bucks spurs game, joins us now. Uh, Jalen, what will the addition of Eric Bledsoe do for the Bucks? Jamel, he immediately becomes their second best player. And that's very huge in a dynamic where we see super teams are being formed and it takes multiple all-star level players to compete at a championship level. He's tough defensively. He can get his own shot, as you mentioned. He's an underrated passer, but more importantly, he's going to be a guy that's able to defend some of the top point guards in the league. Look around the game. Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Kyrie Irving. You need somebody that's going to be able to compete defensively yet put pressure on the other end on those guys. I think Eric Bledsoe will be that guy for the Bucks. Jalen Cavaliers lose again, their seventh loss of the year, loss to the Rockets last night. Um, obviously, they're down some people. How would you consider that loss? Is it a quote-unquote good loss, or, or where, where's your temperature on the Cavs right now? It's a big-time win for the Houston Rockets, especially how they got it done with James Harden putting up monster numbers and them dominating on the board. 
But this respectfully is what I love about team sports. And here's what I mean. The Cleveland Cavaliers have the best player, but the other guys get paid to play basketball too. And they scout your weaknesses. And when you can't defend the three, when you don't get back in transition, when you struggle against pick and roll and rebounding the basketball, they don't have their pillars. Tristan Thompson down low to give them energy. Isaiah Thomas at the point to give them quickness and scoring. So now they're relegated on seeing if LeBron James and or Kevin Love can have big-time games. They haven't been able to consistently do it, give the other squads credit. If the Cavs were healthy, they're still my pick to win the Eastern Conference like everybody else's. But give these other teams props because when they come to town, they've been exploiting their weaknesses. All right, Jalen, thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll see you in just a bit on ESPN. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, the Oklahoma City Thunder, normally good. The Thunder have lost four in a row. They're four and seven. They were six and five last year after 11 games without George and Anthony. The big three all averaging 20 points a game. And the team has a plus point differential, but they're losing tight games of late. Russell Westbrook suddenly can't shoot free throws, 58%. He was 85 last year. They play their fifth game in eight days tonight in Oklahoma City against the 5-5 five and five L.A. Clippers. That's where we find our Royce Young. And Royce, after the big three, there's a big drop-off. I mentioned we're losing close games. Are we sure what we want to do late in games? What's the inside-the-hallway, inside story in OKC? <laughs> As you can see, I'm in this hallway right now. The Thunder are actually going through a walkthrough out of All the right. court, and they kicked me off of it. But um, right now what the Thunder are trying to figure out is how to execute in these games, and that was such a such a – a thing that they did so well last season. That's really why Russell Westbrook won the MVP was how the Thunder executed in clutch time, but really where they're struggling most is on the defensive end. Their their net rating defensive efficiency in clutch time is just abysmally bad right now. But, you know, after the game last night in Denver, the Thunder held a closed door, closed locker room meeting, kind of keeping the media out after the game for about 30 minutes, an extended period of time. And I'm told it really wasn't an airing of grievances so much as it was just to kind of talk it out, just figure Figure some things out. Try to get on the same page because these guys are working through this. They want to make it work. Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, they understand what's at stake. They want to make it work. And tonight they got another crack at it. All right. Thanks, Royce. We appreciate you joining us. 28 NFL teams are in action this weekend. Eight of them will trot out a quarterback they did not start in week one. The Patriots are not among them, and the backup QB job in New England hasn't led to much playing time since Tom Brady took over for an injured Drew Bledsoe in September of 2001. However, serving as Brady's backup is still an important job in Foxborough, and as Matt Hasselbeck tells us, provides an up-close and personal look at one of the greatest to ever do it. I'll never forget it. I was in uh, meeting with Bill O'Brien, who was the offensive corner at the time, in the quarterback room, and we're going over like the install or whatever, and the door opens up, and it's Tom. And obviously, you know, I knew who he was, and I stand up to introduce myself. He's like, hey, I'm Tom. It's just nice to meet you. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no crap. Like, I know, I know who you are. Since 2001, 14 different men have carried the clipboard for perhaps the best quarterback in NFL history. And Tom Brady has made an impression on every one of them. My first week in the room with him, Josh is asking me questions about the film. He clicks one play. He goes, what, what's his play call? And I like pause for literally a second and Tom answered. And I got pissed and I'm like, what the? Josh is like, you, you got to be that fast. His car would always be first and his car would be the last to leave and, and you watch the film study, you watch how he did things, you watch the notes he took, everything he did on a daily basis about how he could win that game on Sunday. Let's go! Let's go! 
famous for his sideline outbursts and fiery competitiveness on the field, it should come as no surprise that Brady loathes losing and keeps everyone on edge. I would always be there during rookie minicamp and stuff uh, when they weren't in the building. It would be super cold, so I would turn the thermometer up so I can warm up a little bit. One day, he came in a room, and we were watching film. He goes, who turned the, the thermometer up? I go, oh, man, I, I kind of did when I was, I was freezing. He goes, dude, I've been here for 17 years. I haven't touched that thermometer once, and you've been here for a week, and you're already touching the thermometer. I was like, oh, man, it's going to be a long year. We were playing at Buffalo. For whatever reason, we couldn't fly back, so we had to stay the night in Rochester. At some point, there's a chugging contest that starts. So it takes some coaxing, but we finally get him up there. And when I tell you that you couldn't have poured the beer out of the glass faster than he drank it, and of course, in like his competitiveness, he drinks it, slams the glass on the table, and like flexes, and everybody, I mean, the whole team is there, and everybody just loses it. The guys that were competing against him, I don't even know if they finished the beer. It was like, it was, it was so fast. It was actually at a charity basketball game. It was, you know, East Walpole or something like that. About the third quarter, and, and we're losing to these middle-aged, overweight firemen, Tom Brady let us have it. Guys, we're not losing to the fire department. We're professional athletes. And sure enough, he starts knocking down this bank shot three-pointer, and I think we walked away with a victory that afternoon against a small-town Massachusetts fire department for charity. Tom was not going to let us lose. During training camp, we would always, during special teams, we would work on throwing with good arch on our, on our deep balls. So we would throw into a trash can. Well, one day, I hit like three in a row from 40 yards out, and I went up on him like $5,000. And it just, I could tell it drove him nuts. He said double or nothing. I'm like, all right, so I hit it again. And he says like triple or nothing. So like, at that point, I was so far ahead of him. Like the rest of the year was, was a breeze. Like, even if he got a few on me, I was still always up. And by the end of the season, he hadn't paid me, and, and Bill O'Brien joked, he's like, he's never going to pay you. He's just going to keep the game going until he wins. So the following year, we're in the locker room before the game, and he sits down next to me and just hands me like $5,000 in, in $20 bills. Like, he finally admitted defeat. With as many as five of Brady's sideline soldiers potentially seeing action this year, it's clear that while daunting, backing up number 12 can teach you a lot. He allows, you know, to be coached and to be coached hard, and I think it permeates to the whole team. I know I'm fortunate to, to have that experience behind him and learn from him. You know, that just mindset of you can't take any breaks once you step into this to this facility, you know, uh, especially at the quarterback position. That's why they win. They understand um, that if they want to be a part of this thing, they better do their job, they better know their role, and no one defines your role better than Bill Belichick. And he made me feel like... I was the most important backup quarterback on the planet. I never felt dumb asking him a question. He would always explain things to me. Had I gone somewhere else and played with somebody else and didn't learn from him, I wouldn't have been able to be prepared to play when, when my time was called. Father time is undefeated, and he will beat Tom Brady. I don't care how much kale or wild-caught salmon he eats. Eddie Bruski. Uh, big one for New England this weekend. They're in Denver. No Chris Hogan, Malcolm Brown, Marcus Cannon. They're all out. Uh, Pat would love to be the number one seed, of course. Pittsburgh, KC right there. You'd rather yeah. play at home than go yeah. there in an AFC title game. I'm just curious, so how does Bill Belichick coach a bye week, which they're coming off, and how, how does he prevent a trap game? 
Well, he prevents it because, and I, I mean this with all honesty, that a bi-week practice is very, his mentality-wise, how he handles it in the meeting room before the practice when you go out there on practice, it's with the same focus and t- uh, intensity than a practice Super Bowl week. Mm-hmm. I mean that. Yeah. Because there's only one way he does things. And the minute he shows any of the players that he's different because it's only the Jets or it's only the, the Broncos with Osweiler or yeah. something like that. That's when everything that he says doesn't hold weight. And so you, you're showing, you, wait, you showed us two weeks ago that it wasn't important, so why is it important now? He believes that, truthfully and honestly. Yeah. So every single practice has to be the same, and that's how he prevents various trap games. I mean, of course, we've lost to, when I was there, we lost to opponents that, that we were favored against, yeah. and that's just the mentality of the player. Sometimes you come out and you're not ready to play, but that preparation is what he focuses on during the week because he knows you know, pretty much once that game starts, it's all in the hands of the players, mostly. Um, they have a new addition in Martellus Bennett, who they just claimed off uh, waivers. He was on the practice field today for the Patriots uh, before he had some words about uh, uh, the, the Green Bay. Yeah, some Green Bay uh, about the Green Bay Packers and the injury situation and what did or didn't happen there. But just keeping it to what he can do with the Patriots, obviously won a Super Bowl with them last season. What can he realistically provide for them, uh, Teddy, this season? Well, Jamel, they love the two tight end sets. That's what they do. That's when that's what they major in. If he's healthy enough to contribute, because he's not when he's on the field at the same time as Gronkowski, they have to have the element of being able to line up in line and block. That's what makes it most effective is that the defensive coordinator won't know how to match it. If I bring in extra nickel back, nickel defensive backs, and all of a sudden they're lining up to block, now, now I'm outmatched. So if he can't block and his shoulder is messed up like he says it is, uh, then it's really he's just a glorified receiver because you put him in line, then he'll, he'll just get handled on the line of scrimmage. So his shoulder health is important. Of course, they probably examined that before they signed him. They did. He passed the physical. Yeah. And he says it's messed up in his post, post <laughs> things like that. It was messed up in Green Bay, but now it's okay now. I'm, I'm confused about the whole thing. And I mean, I've, there have been arguments with trainers, with players. I mean, d- debates on whether you need surgery or not. I've been in the, I've been in the room where a doctor is telling you, yeah. you know, you, you, probably could, you could probably could get that fixed. And I'm thinking to myself, man. Do I really need to get that fixed? And, you know, that, that's the discussion that goes right. on. So maybe that's he, what he's referencing. But still, it's ugly the way he left that place yeah. and the way that he's so quickly back in New England, the shoulder, the health of it yeah, is Yeah, some important. people thought it was shades of LeGarrette Blunt uh, almost to some degree, even though it was a bit of a different situation. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you're hurt here, but now yeah. all of a sudden you're fine. Right. Right. So we'll see how it plays out. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> five and three Cowboys, four and four Falcons. That's a 425 game. Uh, this is the closest projected matchup in week 10, according to FPI. Cowboys, the offense is rolling. They scored at least 28 in each of their last six. Longest active streak, but no Elliott now. He was really going. Falcons are averaging 21 points a game. That's 17th in the league. They led the league last year, 34 points a game. I mean, Teddy, they miss Kyle Shanahan that much. How do they get back on track offensively? This is yeah. weird. It's it's it, Butch. It's a, it's a huge transition going from a, a new offensive coordinator, new, yeah. doing from a, from a new uh, defensive coordinator. Just when you think, you know. You, Everything's going to be the same. I'm just going to tweak it a little bit. But still, there's a rhythm of calling the plays, even on defense. It's the only way I can relate to it. But 
there's a rhythm of calling plays, when, when the various blitzes are called, when the various max rush called or max, max zone coverages are called, eight-man drops, things like that, that you know when it's coming. So getting they, what they're talking about in Atlanta is consistency, taking care of the ball, third down conversions, things like that. I know this. They don't look the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't look the same. They're, they're still explosive, but they're almost – explosive without consistency so you get an explosive play but in between the explosive plays where's the substance and with that maybe Kyle Shanahan was just a better play caller and anticipator than Sarkeesian is he still has to learn a lot of things um, learning personnel things like that but you just can't play offense and have an explosive play now and then with nothing nothing else to show for it yeah their play calling has definitely been under scrutiny all season Uh, thank you so much for joining us Teddy Bucci, I tell you what, if the Canes beat Notre Dame and live on Sunday night, it's going to be more lit than usual. Um, But let's send it out to Reese Davis and the college game day crew to set the scene in Miami. John and Jamel, thank you. Jamel, contrary to uh, popular opinion, there is a little bit of difference between Miami's campus and East Lansing. Just a little. (laughs) Coral Gables. (laughs) Lakeside patio, Notre Dame and Miami, and this time meeting with huge consequences like it was back in the day in the late 80s and the early 90s. Jamel Spartans playing Ohio State, one of several ranked versus ranked games. You guys, what we have, latest point in the season ever that the top three teams in the country have all been on the road against ranked opponents, and this one seems yeah. to be more compelling than any other. Um, I can't wait for this one tomorrow night, man. This is going to be a big matchup. You're looking at Notre Dame's pass defense. Keep an eye on that group. They give up an average of 245 yards through the air a game. And Miami with Malik Rozier, yeah. Braxton Berrios, Ahmad Richards, I think that group can really affect Notre Dame's defense. Ahmad Richards is a guy who would take the lid off of defense. He's their most dynamic player, and he's getting healthy. He's had an Injury, a, ha- a hamstring injury early in the season, but now he's getting healthy. And Braxton Berrios has been the most consistent Animal. offensive player they've had all year long. He's been great. You, you go line if you're not looking for number eight, you got problems. Exactly. You better pay attention. I think down on the plains, the number one team in the country. That's First, true. I think real road game. Notre Dame yeah. Yeah. was mostly Georgia fans. I mean, <laughs> it was not a real road game. When, when you went to Tennessee, it was cleared out by half. Yeah. Georgia, Florida, 50 50. I, I think Jake Fromm in tough situations. Auburn's defensive line is so good. Yep. They're going to make the young quarterback have to throw the football. Number one team in the country has to bring their A game in one of the toughest places to play in college football. And we'll also have plenty on TCU and Oklahoma, number five versus number six. Get any better than this week in college no. football. Inside college game day from the U, the return of the U. Tom Rinaldi has been in South Florida all week talking to former Canes about the swagger being back. And speaking of that Georgia team and their defense, they are living up to the moniker of the great stop units of the past, led by Ert Russell's bloody forehead and old 47 David Pollock in his day, and Gene Wojciechowski with the story of Rory Coleman, who served as an Army combat medic in Afghanistan prior to joining the UCF football team. Knights, by the way, which are undefeated. It's all coming up on College Game Day, Saturday at 9 a.m. Get up, come on out to the U on Saturday. And Reese is right. There is a difference between the Miami campus. And I was going to say that weather campus. looks pretty good out no, there. Right our about campus now. is better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the weather out there kind of gets us. <laughs> they, get, they get the weather. <laughs> yeah, we got the better a campus. Jealous. 
Thanks, Jesse Palmer, for joining us. Let's play our own game of knockout. You okay. see the incredible slate of games in yeah. college football this weekend. So who gets knocked out of playoff contention? I think it's TCU. I think they're going to lose on the road at Oklahoma. It'll be TCU's second loss, which I think knocks them out of the playoff discussion here. This could be the preview of the Big 12 championship game. I can't wait to watch this. It's the best defense in the Big 12 in TCU taking on the best offense, maybe in the country in Oklahoma. TCU has an outstanding defensive line. They've got four animals up front that can all win one-on-one. They've been living in their opponent's backfield. But this is the best offense in the country. It's putting at 8.6 yards of play. Yeah. Baker Meatfield right now is the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. Best quarterback in the country. Most accurate deep ball thrower in the country. Their are lines playing well. They've got so many good running backs and wide receivers at the skill spots. There's problems with Oklahoma's defense. Yeah. They give up a lot of big plays. And we saw Oklahoma State gash them on deep throws. That's not really TCU's offense. They sort of dink and dunk and get the ball to playmakers in space. I think that actually plays in Oklahoma's favor. Sooners have won seven in a row against AP top 25 teams. And I think if Oklahoma gets the win, I actually think they're going to bump up into the top four. I think they might be able to knock Clemson out, even if the top four teams win this weekend. That would be interesting. For me, it's Georgia. I think Georgia goes down at Auburn. Yeah, this is a tough game for them to play. And, look, I realize in many ways this is strength on strength. Mm -hmm. Both of these teams – Great rushing teams. Of course, you have Nick Chubb. You have On Johnson, which I think is a great name for a running back. <laughs> On, get it, carries. Yeah, anyway, um, Georgia, though, uh, look, I know they've been great against the past, but I really like what I've seen from Jared Stidman in the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. I think he's been much more consistent. And, again, I'm just looking at that being at Auburn. Tough place to play. Two very physical things teams, I think Auburn outlasts. You're on fire, too, by the way. You picked Michigan State. I did, and y'all actually, laughed at me, and I told well, you. Michael actually technically laughed <laughs> yes. at you. I was kind of sitting John in the background. You're like, ah, I don't want to laugh at her on her own <laughs> show. Exactly. I got you. I'll say Miami gets knocked off by Notre Dame. Can't wait for this game. Uh, how Notre Dame runs the football, Jesse. Unbelievable. Yeah. And here, comes, here comes Josh Adams. Third best odds on favorite to win the Heisman. Now, he wasn't on the board September 1st. Yeah. They averaged more than 300 per game this season running. Does Miami have a chance to stop them? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to play great run defense. Now, Josh Adams had to leave last week's game against Wake Forest. They were yep. checking him for a concussion. Josh Adams says he's healthy and okay. I think the biggest improvement at Notre Dame has been Brandon Wimbush throwing the football. So yeah. many defenses now load the box to stop that rushing attack. As you mentioned, is averaging 325 yards a game. But when Brandon Wimbush has these one-on-one opportunities, he's starting to take advantage and hitting those, and it's making Notre Dame awfully Looking forward to stop. play calling, how Brian Kelly calls it. Yes. Yeah. Is he going to play action early? Is he going to mm-hmm. try to run it right away with the hyped-up crowd? Mm-hmm. One of the best fun. offensive minds in the country. Yeah, I can't awesome. wait for Great this weekend. doesn't dress as well as Booch, though. <laughs> it's velvet. <laughs> All right, college basketball's underway. Ooh, how fun is that? Look at the time go. Yeah, keep an eye out on the debuts of our top two recruits. Marvin Bagley third, Michael Porter Jr. Duke hosts Elon at 7 Eastern. Meanwhile, uh, Porter Jr. in Missouri, they host Iowa State at 9. Defending Nat Champs also in action, 7 Eastern on the U, ESPNU. North Carolina hosts Northern Iowa. And also at 7 Eastern, SEC Network, 5th-ranked Kentucky opens its season against Utah Valley. Haven't seen them, should. That school is real. Fortunate task of playing at Kentucky tonight and then at Duke uh, tomorrow night. That is Utah Valley. So we decided to ratchet up the funny, not just with the DCM countdown, but Katie Nolan is back. Oh, Her security right. badge works. It still worked today. Yay. Um, right. What didn't work was Lonzo Ball. <laughs> the shooting, that is. 3 for 12 from the floor against the Wiz. And Chuck Barkley had new mercy. The War Eagles. Ooh, watch out, Chuck. At the Ooh, lo- watch out, it'll Chuck. no longer be the Ooh, loveliest. Watch out, Chuck. It'll no longer be the Ooh. loveliest village on the planet. What's that? Well, what are you dunking for? Um, Lonzo, Lonzo Ball shooting. Some bricks coming around. Oh, oh you're, you're looking at another game. 
That's a dad joke. Also, his poor camera guy, he just kept leaning out of frame. That's not fun. Yeah. I still believe in you, Lonzo. You keep shooting. <laughs> That's oh, right. Those I bricks aren't going to brick themselves. I am bullish on ball. <laughs> He's hanging in there. I'm not ready to it's be out on the kids. Kid. That's a hot take. I said it. Yeah. yeah uh, I just yeah. don't know if he'll be the savior that the it. Lakers anticipate, right? He'll be uh, a good player, but maybe not the savior. Rob's not, but Mabes. Number four, Bobby Orr. <laughs> Columbia's James Rodriguez set a new bar for flopping. Oh. Look at that. International friendly against South Korea. Hand never touched the face. Now, if you thought that was bad, check this out. These, oh, this is so bad. This is, this is three ladies. <laughs> Not like oh. Barcelona Gentra matchup. Uh, completely blow a chance to score. So which oh. was worse, oh. ladies and gent? It's that one. That one's worse. We have three. Clear, fast break. No, yeah. I'm sorry. That flopped. That dude, that's a Montreal Canadian, right, Katie? Yeah, yeah no England yeah, humor. Yeah, got him. Humor. Got him. Is that what y'all do? Yeah. I got yeah, it. I didn't even. Sorry. I went way over yeah. my head. It's okay. And this is like picking up the 710 split. The ball did. It's unbelievable. Uh, so, head coach uh, Ben McAdoo, he got a little testy today talking about all the drama around his club following a bad performance against the Rams. When you have a setback like we did last week and, uh, you know, some uh, some – you know, fake news, I guess you could call it like we had this week. Uh, some drama. I think it's good to go out and play the game you love to play. Why, Why do you say fake news? Why do you say fake news? It's anonymous quotes. By fake news, you're saying that you, you doubt that they're real. Well, I'm saying it's it's anonymous. No names behind it. But anonymous is different than fake. Is it, you, I'll let you define it for me, then. It's anonymous. No, we'll let the dictionary define it. How disconcerting is that if your coach doesn't know the difference between anonymous and fake? I think the hair's a little disconcerting for me well, personally. The look, remember last year he was soft bangs. Now he's had a nice fringe. Now he's Melrose back. I think it's a strong. I think move. he should always have to wear a hat. I mean, it's. He was born in Homer City, Pennsylvania. Look at him. No that was really like muddy. Changed him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a little episode of when keeping it real goes wrong. So Jimmy Fredette, Stefan Marbury, they got into. A heated altercation during a game in China after this play. Uh, Jimmer wanted no part of that. I just think it's interesting that you're Ooh. trying to fight a 40-year-old Stefan Marbury. That was a flagrant two and a half, though. That was, that was a chop. <laughs> like, who was trying to square up on Steph? Okay, the really? lead. We're burying the lead. The, the lead? basketball names and in the Chinese Basketball Association are like dragons. Yeah. Like, really cool name. We've got the Nuggets. Nick the Jazz. They got the Dragons. The Nets. That's what you shoot a ball into. I want a, more names like Dragons, Sharks. Oh. I want, Shanghai Sharks. Watch Conor McGregor here. I like it. Well, you know what the Irish goodbye is? What is it? Irish goodbye is when you just do leaves the party and he just, hey, where, where's Billy? Where, he, he just leaves. He just goes home. This oh. is the Irish hello. This Ooh. is when he jumps into your house <laughs> with, a, with a case of Narragansett and a box of Marlboro Reds and says, I'm here. The party started. That's the, that's the Irish hello. That sounded New england A little Boston. Yeah. That is You're not wrong. Narragansett. His name's Sully, not Billy, but you were close. Right. <laughs> Narragansett yeah. and, and Marble Red, of course itself. Well, Katie, thanks again for joining us oh, and bringing the funny. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh! All right, Bucci, before we call it a day, tell right. the folks who had a good day. Hashtag college hockey. It's a mm. good day for college hockey. Number one, St. Cloud State, undefeated 6-0, is in Denver for two games starting tonight. Denver preseason number one. They're the defending national champion, Denver Pioneers. Seen here winning the Natty on ESPN. Barry Melrose and I do the games, kids. Uh, they beat Minnesota Duluth. No barking from the dogs, no swag on that day. 
for Denver, Jamel. All right, give us that hockey. Good day for the number one men's and women's prospects uh, in hoops. Kristen Williams committed to UConn and R.J. Barrett committed to Duke. That's it for us. Sports Center is on ESPN News, and we have, I think, some college football following us, right? Temple Cincy, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. See you all later.